Get a lateral flow test. That's what the government tells us if you want to go to a New Year's Eve party, a football match, to protect your family, to go to work. The trouble is, everywhere's run out of kits. Are they to blame for this fiasco? We'll look at former British colony of Hong Kong, where one of the last bastions of free speech has been, you guessed it, closed down. What does it mean for Hong Kong's future? And joining me on Talking Pints, YouTube creator Maya Tuzi. Good evening. Go and get a lateral flow test. That's the message if you want to go to a social event. That is absolutely the message if you're doing anything tomorrow night, because, of course, it is New Year's Eve. It's going to be party time as people travel into England from Wales, from Scotland. And we're encouraged to actually go out and celebrate. It's also actually rather important for workplaces. Here, for example, at GB News, I've been doing a lateral flow test every day before I come in to work because we want to try and keep the station on air. So it's important for that. But it's also important, we're told, to make sure we keep on protecting our vulnerable family members. Indeed, lateral flow tests, in many ways, are the centrepiece of England's strategy of not having more restrictions in the way that Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland have. And when that message goes out, surprise, surprise, guess what happens? There's a surge in demand. And at the moment, roughly 900,000 lateral flow tests are being used every day. But demand for that tomorrow is going to be significantly higher. And as a result of this, guess what? There are shortages being reported absolutely everywhere in England. And indeed, in Scotland, uh, people are waiting up to five days for the result of PCR tests. Now, the Health Secretary, Sajid Javid, has ordered 300 million new lateral flow tests, which sounds great. But it makes me wonder, why didn't we put orders in for lateral flow tests before we decided that we weren't going to put restrictions in place in England, that we were going to encourage people to get lateral flow tests as often as possible? To me, it's all because there is no forward planning. To me, it's all because this is a government operating on day-to-day -day tactics with no overall strategy. Yes, I know dealing with a pandemic is difficult, but this really is a mess. And frankly, Sajid Javid on this just looks all at sea. Now, Wales, like the cavalry, have come over the hill and they're offering us four million lateral flow tests. Just how quickly they can be distributed around the rest of England is a question we'll ask this evening. But the whole thing, frankly, has very rapidly become a fiasco. And my question for you tonight, is the government to blame for this fiasco, in your opinion? Let me know what you think. GBviews at gbnews.uk or you can tweet at gbnews. Well, my view is pretty clear. It is a shambles. Now, let's go to the front lines of this. Let's find out what it's really like out there. And I'm now joined by London-based GP Mo Kharki from North London. Mo, good evening. Hi, good evening. How are you? Yeah, good to see you. So obviously there's been an upsurge in demand. The government have encouraged it and created it. Um, how much forward planning uh, for this did you see in a GP's practice? Well, I mean, 
We had no prior warning to it, of course, and I have the uh, fortune of working both in hospital and in general practice. And what I've seen is that there is a huge shortage of these lateral flow tests, as everyone's mentioned, but that was sprung on us just a few days before Christmas, um, New Year's, everything's coming up and everyone wants to be safe and we want to see our family and friends for the first time in a long time. And so many people can't get hold of one and it's really uh, put people out of kilter. Yeah, and I guess tomorrow night, I mean, it is New Year's Eve. Uh, we weren't allowed to celebrate last year. And I know there have been, you know, for example, the fireworks have been cancelled by Mayor Khan in London. But I think people have got, you know, fairly substantial plans tomorrow. I'm guessing a lot of people just won't be able, as you see it, to get a lateral flow test before attending a social event. That's right. I mean, I was helping out at a pharmacy recently just um, because of a shortage and... 20 to 25 people came in with codes saying, look, I want to pick up a lateral flow test. There weren't any. You speak to the pharmacist, they said, we don't have any. We can't get any. We don't know when they're going to come. So many people are desperate for it. They want to do the right things. They want to protect their families. They want to look after their loved ones. They want to look after themselves. They don't want to spread it. But you look at it and it's so complex. I mean, look at it from that pharmacy perspective. You've got COVID-positive potential patients coming in, asking, arguing, getting aggressive, saying, I want my lateral flow, I need to know. Mm. You've got NHS workers also affected. You know, if you are in contact or have a positive test, you're off for 10 days. But if you are able to have a lateral flow on the sixth and seventh day and they're negative, you can come back to work. But if there's no tests available, how can you do that? And so yeah, we're looking yeah. at an even more depleted workforce. And I guess also for most people, as you say, that that change from 10 days to seven days has put yet more demand on the system, hasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And I think, I mean, we welcome that, especially as someone who works in the NHS at such a busy time. We would really want that support. We want our healthcare workers to come back as soon as they can. And they're desperate to make an effort and, and help us as passionate as they are to help during this crisis. But it's such a challenge. And without those lateral flow tests, it's a real struggle. Of course, we're still encouraging the normal things that trying to reduce your socialization, trying to make sure you're wearing your mask, get your booster vaccinations. But ultimately, if the government makes a, a mandate to get lateral flow tests and there aren't any, that's really short-sighted. Yeah, I can see some quite significant rows happening at, at venues tomorrow night where they're demanding uh, negative tests to be shown and people just aren't going to have them. How, um, in terms of the pharmacy where you worked, and I guess they really are in the front line of this in high streets up and down the country... Uh, I mean, you said a moment ago, they did they literally not have any idea when their next delivery was going to be? That's right. I mean, it's my, it's my father's pharmacy. And there was, um, as you know, the Omicron uh, virus is flying around. Some of the staff got it. There was no one in. I happened to be on the day off. So I came in and worked as a cashier for the day, which was great. And all we saw was hordes of people coming in. They have their codes. They want to come and help out. But they can't do anything about it. There are no supplies. We have none left in stock. And you contact and nobody is saying when they're going to come back in. So it's a real challenge. And this was the case for all the pharmacies around the area. We had people calling in saying, look, I have called four or five places. I've gone to the library. I've done whatever else has been advised by Sajid Javid. But I can't get them. Well, I have to say thank you, Mo, for giving us that front line testimony of what it's really like out there. Thank you for joining us here on GB News. Well, I mentioned the point there 
about supply. And my next guest is Richard Bartlett, who is a supply chain expert at ClearNow, a digital platform for customs and supply chain logistics. So, Richard Bartlett, good evening. Welcome to the show. Um, there we had, there we had the pharmacist, or at least the son of the pharmacist, telling us they've run out of NFTs. They have absolutely no idea uh, when the next lot's being delivered. In your view, is the problem, and yeah, we know there's increased demand, is the problem here one of actual physical availability or is it one of distribution? Uh, good evening, Nigel. I think it's uh, I think it's a matter of a few things. Let's be honest here. The government have been going on and on and on for the last few months about the actual test, making sure you're taking your test, etc. Supply chain's all about making sure in the supply chain network you have plenty of time to plan. And what's happening, and I think you made the comment earlier, Nigel, that you know, it seems like they just turn the tap on and then they want everything to happen. So one hand they're telling you one thing and, and the supply chain doesn't work like that. These lateral flow tests, he's ordered 300 million. Surely they should have been thinking about this. He has Dr. Gloom on every day on the scientists saying that, you know, we're going to have a huge increase. And unfortunately with Omicron, obviously we've, we've seen that. But you would think they would plan this ahead. You've got to yes. be planning two, three months ahead of yourself. You know, if you look at the manufacturer, the talk to a manufacturer is now ramping up. Surely you'd be talking to him in August to say, you know, we need this over a certain period of time. It's winter time. We've been talking about the problems in winter time. Let's have a floor for the next six months. Unless yeah, I'm missing and, and, I mean, you know, over two weeks ago, yeah. Boris was using the word emergency. So that didn't come out yeah. of the blue. Um, so for you, for you, I mean, tell us right now um, how you see things ahead of New Year's Eve tomorrow. And do you think that the four million tests, test kits rather, that have been offered by the Welsh Government. Is there much chance in 24 hours of getting those distributed? I think they'll do the best. I think they'll do the best to try and do that. I can't see it really happening. You may get one million, one and a half million. But doesn't it put a lot of pressure on the, the consumer out there that, you know, they're worried? You know, I had my test yesterday. Unfortunately, I've, I've got COVID and I've tested. But I had the same problem. I went on to the PCR to try and get it. Could I get it? Nothing. I can't get it anywhere. I've been logging on everywhere. Uh, and that's the problem. I mean, you know, four million is great from the Welsh government to, to offer this supply. But again, we're two days ahead. We're one day ahead of one of our busiest, you know, years of the year. Unfortunately, I'm going to be sat at home watching the TV, probably watching you, Nigel. Bad luck. No, no, I'm going to be out having a drink too. Don't worry. Oh, but, you're uh, right. And I will think of you. I promise, Richard, I will think of you stuck there. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for that. But yeah, I mean, it's a big problem. I mean, and, and Sajidjab, they've got to really start thinking about this. But we've already seen fuel crisis. We've seen so with supply chain crisis. We've seen so many things now rearing its ugly head every month. And this is just, and this is the worst one when you think about it, because people need to feel safe. They need to want to go out and feel safe. They want to be able to do the right thing, which we're being asked to do. And, and they're being stopped that. And that's a real worry, I think. And the government really needs to address this going forward. A deeper question. During the Brexit referendum of 2016, one of the big debates was about supply chains. And it was argued by the Remainers that the just-in-time supply chain could be affected by our withdrawal from the European Union. And that led, for the first time ever, I think, to a debate about the just-in-time supply chain. 
Do you think the model we've got actually works or is it too vulnerable to breaking down, whether it's weather, unforeseen circumstances? Is there a different way we could do this or are the commercial pressures on firms like yours just so great that this really is the only option? I think it, it, this is a difficult one and, and obviously as a Brexit advisor for the last three years, helping many businesses with, with the, the issues. I mean, it does work in its own way, but you have issues there, Nigel, where... You know, you've got so many things that are in the way now because you've got a customs, you've got a customs territory. That creates delays in itself. And and please remember, everybody, on the 1st of January this year, we've got huge issues because obviously uh, the transition period stops for the UK. So goods coming into the UK will have far more stringent tests, border controls, etc. So there's a huge challenge ahead for the government on the 1st of January. That's one thing. Secondly, the just-in-time, yes, it can work, but you have to go more digital. And the government has to invest in that. It has to look at the supply chain, how it's yes. working. Yes. And they can make this work. Now, they can make it work. They just have to understand how supply chain links, how it all works together. Once you understand that, you can get it working. Yeah, and actually, you know, the truth of it is with imports uh, of goods, you know, there isn't someone checking every container. No, digitisation clearly is the way forward. Well, Richard, I'm sorry you've got COVID. I'm sorry your New Year's Eve <laughs> has been ruined. But a last comment from you. Is this fiasco that we're facing now, is it all the government's fault, in your opinion? Uh, I think they have to take some blame. I think they have to really start looking at how, how they organise and how they look at the supply chain and not just looking at it dead, you know, on the day when there's a problem. I think they need to address it well, I think and they need to plan ahead. I think you answered that very diplomatically, but I fully understood what you meant. And I wish, and I wish you a happy new year. And thank you. <laughs> Well, yes, I think it is a real fiasco. Now, coming up, Hong Kong shuts down the last prominent pro-democracy news outlet. Is this the end of press freedom in Hong Kong? What does the future hold even for foreign journalists reporting? You need to get your lateral flow test. The trouble is, they're not available because demand has spiked and we hadn't pre-ordered enough. It is a fiasco. Is it the government's fault, is the question I put to you. Some of your replies that have come in. Dan says, people, people take too many tests in England. They're obsessed with it. Well, yes, because they've been told to by the government. Ifion says, the government have scared people into testing constantly and now they can't cope. Well, I, I think actually fear is something they've used quite effectively ever since the beginning of this pandemic. Um, I don't mean that in a good way. Peter says, don't blame the government for the shortage of lateral flow tests. Blame those that refuse to be vaccinated. I'm sorry, that's got nothing to do with it. Even if you've been jabbed a hundred times, you can still catch the Omicron variant. Don't delude yourself into thinking just because you've had the booster that you can't catch this virus because you can. Karen says, this should come as no surprise, but forward planning is not a word in their vocabulary. However, I have no doubt somebody will be rewarded for yet another failure. Well, of course, we do have the New Year's honours list, which will be announced tomorrow, and I'm sure there'll be a few failures there that do well. Now, on to more serious subject, a much more serious subject, and one that I, I do wonder sometimes why we don't talk about this a lot more. But... Overnight in Hong Kong, we've seen one of the last pro-democracy news outlets, Stan News, have been shut down. And it's the usual 
exactly as you would expect, masses of Chinese police invading the building, taking out the computers, taking out all of the records, arresting several people, um, journalists mostly, uh, including one uh, who even held a Canadian passport, which is interesting. This, of course, follows the even higher profile Apple Daily, uh, which was shut with Jimmy Lay being arrested. And this is part of a pattern, uh, a pattern, in fact, that has been rapidly increasing over the course of the last year or so. And I have to say, every agreement that was made that up until 2047, there would be autonomy within Hong Kong, every one of those agreements is being broken by the Chinese Communist Party. And it really does look to me, although free speech and democracy has gone, and I'm not actually sure whether there's really any prospect of getting it back. And yet, given that it is a former British colony, given that we did that deal with the Chinese Communist Party, and given that we've actually opened up the door, potentially, to quite a lot of Hong Kongese to come in to this country, it is amazing in these circumstances that the Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss, you know, the one that's favourite to take over from Boris Johnson, do you know what she said? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yet, Anthony Blinken, Biden's Secretary of State, has put out quite a strong condemnation. Well, to discuss this, I'm joined now by Benedict Rogers, the CEO of Hong Kong Watch. And Benedict, someone that lived, worked in Hong Kong. Uh, but I understand you were a sort of, like a sort of early warning shot because you were denied entry to Hong Kong some years ago. What was your crime? Well, my crime was to have spoken the truth and criticised the regime in Beijing, stood up for democracy and freedom in Hong Kong. And I went on a visit in October 2017 uh, just to meet old friends and was told I was not welcome and put back on a plane. They literally stopped at the border, put back on a plane? Absolutely. And had you written articles or broadcast or what had you done? Uh, yeah, that's the, those are the worst of my crimes. I'd, uh, yeah. I'd written articles, I'd spoken to MPs, I'd hosted people like Joshua Wong and Nathan Law in yep. London and introduced them to MPs. So, Stan News, was it pretty much one of the last outlets that was arguing for democracy and free speech? It, it was, very, very much so. And I would say that if the closure of the Apple Daily six months ago was perhaps the death or the death knell of press freedom, the closure of Stan News is, is probably the burial of press freedom. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Apple did get quite a lot of publicity because of Jimmy yeah. Lay. Uh, this has had some, but, but, but given our level of responsibility, given that we actually did this deal, yeah. um, I feel far, far too little. Now, I mentioned the fact in my talk up that one of the people arrested also possessed a Canadian mm. passport. So, clearly, if you're from Hong Kong, you're Chinese... Uh, you can't speak freely without the fear of being arrested. But what is the situation now, in your opinion, for foreign journalists based in Hong Kong who are reporting out to a wider world, mm. either by you know, writing for a big national newspaper, or, or what about even, you know, I could be a British businessman yep. uh, living in Hong Kong, putting stuff out on Twitter. What are the implications for that. The implications are very grave. And if I can just say, first of all, that not only was one of the people arrested a Canadian, one of the other people arrested, a very prominent barrister, Margaret Ung, actually has a British passport. And all, all the more reason why 
Liz Truss should be speaking out and, and her silence is, uh, is deafening. Um, but in terms of journalists, uh, there have already been a few foreign correspondents who've had their work visas uh, denied or not renewed. Uh, and I think it's uh, only going to get worse. We, we see the harassment of foreign correspondents in mainland China. And I think uh, yeah. that's, that's to come in Hong Kong. But in a way, one of the liberating things about the internet, uh, and it certainly helped my career because I could get round the back of mainstream media and deliver a message directly to an audience. To what extent can China control, shut down the internet? Well, I think it certainly can. I th whether it will go the whole way in terms of imposing its uh, what's known as the Great Firewall of China in Hong Kong or whether it will be more targeted, taking down certain websites, blocking them, going after people who posted yeah. or tweeted things, uh, I don't know. But some of that targeted uh, harassment is already happening. Um, and one thing I should add to your earlier question is, of course, the very draconian national security law actually has an extraterritorial uh, component to it. So certainly if you're a foreigner living in Hong Kong and you tweet something, I mean, having a foreign passport is not going to protect you. But even in theory, what I, I mean, I'm breaking the national security law, as are you, probably every day sitting here in London. Now, they're unlikely to be able to reach us here. But nevertheless, it does have extraterritorial. And sedition is what Stan News were accused of. That's right. And, and what is their definition of sedition? Any criticism? Pretty much any, any criticism. I mean, all Stan News did was to report stories that any decent media organization would do, uh, interview people who are critical of, of the regime, publish op-eds by, by critics. That's sedition. So that's basically what you're saying, Benedict, is there's no way back. I think there's no way back unless something fundamental changes in the regime in Beijing. Uh, in the short term, it's very hard to see things uh, improving in Hong Kong. I'm afraid I'd rather agree with that. Now, one of the reasons for the silence, and I'm not particularly putting Liz Truss in the frame here directly, but it is fascinating. You know, I've, I've sat here and in that chair has sat Vince Cable, Stanley Johnson, pillars of the British establishment who are extremely loath uh, to be critical of the communist regime. Yes, they'll criticise a bit, but not really critical. And, 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 and I've been fascinated. Overnight, we learned that Huawei, that great communications company, have actually given twice as much funding to British universities as previous figures had been published. A further £28.7 million has been, has been uh, taken up by nine leading UK universities. That's on top of the money we understood they'd taken before. So what we see are Chinese companies, and there's no such thing as, as an independent Chinese company in a communist state, and we know that and we get that, uh, giving money directly uh, through academia, uh, putting on its advisory boards um, former senior politicians, former big businessmen, former civil servants. I mean, it feels to me, and, and you, know, you may say that I'm being a bit over the top, but it feels to me like there are significant sections of the British establishment, who effectively are bought and paid for, and that's why they're so quiet. Mm. I, I agree with you. It certainly feels that way to me. Uh, and, and if you remember, at the start of 2020, uh, Boris Johnson and the British government were seriously proposing to give uh, Huawei the, the major yes. uh, role in 5G. Now, thankfully, there was a, a strong 
parliamentary rebellion over that. <clears throat> there was also pressure from our US and Australia. There, and from, there was a phone call from Donald Trump. Yeah, there was. <laughs> I'd love to have overheard the language <laughs> that was used on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. But no, I mean, on a more positive note, what I would say is that in the last few years, I think we have seen a shift, certainly in Parliament, maybe not so much yeah. in Whitehall, in that a few years ago, the voices in Parliament speaking out on this were very few. Now there are, across the spectrum, from Ian Duncan Smith to Tom Tugendhat to people on, on the Labour and Lib Dem benches. Um, so that's encouraging. Well, but... and I think in the country too. Yeah. I think this is one of those issues where actually Westminster and the media are behind public opinion. Yeah. I think the Western world has woken up and has got real concerns about China. I think British consumers would like to buy fewer Chinese goods if they mm. can, but it's quite difficult when you go on Amazon and order something because yeah. you, you don't know where it's been manufactured. Um, I, I, and I think this is an issue in American politics now uh, that has become very significant and it will grow here, I think, too. Thank you very much indeed, Benedict, for coming in and, and sharing your knowledge, uh, although it is, I have to say, a pretty depressing tale. Mm. But thank you very much. Indeed. Now, we've talked there about the extent to which the Chinese Communist Party are cracking down on free speech, are being authoritarian in every way. Yet in this country, uh, what I'm about to tell you goes completely the opposite way, because my What the Farage moment uh, was when I saw the news this morning that 90... Just brace yourself for this. I mean, it, it's hard to believe, but it's true. 92 convicted terrorists are now being assessed for parole, being assessed for early release. It is absolutely, truly astonishing. Uh, and I'm talking about people such as the man who plotted the attacks alongside the London Bridge. A horror story. I'm talking about somebody who was an associate of Salman Abedi, the man that blew up that bomb at the Manchester Arena. I mean, this stuff is just unbelievable. Uh, I'm talking about a man who plotted to bomb Blue Water. I'm talking about uh, a neo-Nazi who produced a pipe bomb. I mean, I'm talking about all these people, and yet they're possibly coming up for parole. And that really is, I think, very concerning, because we have seen instance after instance where this goes wrong. In November 2019, Usman Khan attacked and killed two people and injured three others before being shot dead by police officers. Khan had served eight years in prison after being convicted for planning terrorist attacks. And he's not the only one. So we must have gone literally soft in the head if we think that all of these people and the vast majority of them, the vast majority of them, have been convicted of jihadi terrorism. Do we really think after spending time in our prisons, which we know have become increasingly radicalised, that somehow these men have changed their mind. I don't think so, uh, but I'm afraid, once again, we're up against our old friend, the Human Rights Act, and a legal system that works off the back of it. Uh, and I think the first duty of government is to protect its citizens and to even contemplate, over the course of the next few months, releasing 92 convicted terrorists, frankly, absolutely beggars belief. Now, in a moment, joining me on Talking Pines is somebody who came to this country as a political refugee and is now a creator on YouTube. You may not know what that is, but you're about to find out 
when my Tuzi joins me. It's that time of the day. The GB News pub has been declared open. It is Talking Pints. Now, before I introduce my guest this evening, I was at the osteopaths the other day, and he was chatting to me. He said, you know, he said, I had a patient the other day who said they were a blogger. What's a blogger? Well, today I've got somebody who's a blogger, a creator. I don't know. He may even be an influencer, for all <laughs> I know. But I'm joined by Maya Tuzi. Maya, welcome. Welcome. Is it too late to say Merry Christmas, or...? Well, I know it's never too late to say that. And, 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 and let's hope for a better 22. Absolutely. Um, so, Maya, before we get to this bizarre world, I say bizarre, actually, to your generation and yep. younger, uh, this is just how they live, it's what they understand, yep. and, and it influences the clothes people buy, it influences how people vote, it influences yep. what books they read um, in, in absolutely every way, and it's growing and growing and growing. But there are some censorship threats, and we'll talk about that awesome. too. But firstly, you are one of the youngest people I've had on Talking Pints. Um, your background is fascinating. Mm -hmm. Born in Iran. Yes, in Tehran, capital, yeah. Which once was a great country. Yeah, used, used to uh, be a you know, secular, free market, capitalist country with constitutional monarchy. Obviously, some flaws. It wasn't a perfect system, yes. but everything changed. And uh, since then, my parents... Family got into trouble. Yes. My mother had to come here um, as a political refugee, non dinghy, a proper political refugee. And uh, uh, then I came as a kid. Um, of course, in, under 18, I was allowed to basically come after so you're to join her. So, so you are effectively a political refugee? Technically, I can't take too much credit because I'm, I'm, I was you know, a child of a... You were a minor. But yeah, technically speaking, yeah. I didn't go through you know, the, the process because obviously my mum had to... Kind of explain yeah. the yeah. case and everything yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. But I came here, yeah. And you can't go back to Iran. You've been cancelled, I believe. I have been cancelled by Iran, yes. <laughs> I'm not allowed to go back. And uh, partly, um, well, the obvious reason that, you know, obviously we are here, uh, but also because I'm active in politics and media, yes. uh, they, they believe that, they were, apparently they called me an MI6 Tory Asian, because if you're a Tory, about the, back in the day when I was part of the Tory party, you're definitely an MI6 agent. It goes hand in hand, clearly. Well, it's, well I mean, they're probably right, for all we know. I mean, I can't really say if it is, even if it's true. I can't say. So your family has benef have benefited, you've benefited, mm -hmm. uh, as a result that we've been a country that for centuries, and, and nobody in Europe dares yep. talk to us about this, over centuries we have actually offered genuine yep. refugee status to lots of people. Uh, when you see what's happening in the English Channel right now, mm. how do we deal with that? Well, it's tricky, um, but in terms of before even like dealing with it, one of the interesting things I've discovered, because obviously on YouTube, I make videos about it, and uh, on Twitter, a lot of people attack me. A lot of the, the, the so-called kind of well, white liberal lefties who tell me that, why are you complaining? They, these people look like you, so you should support them. You should just is bring the, everybody I, is, here. Isn't racism a funny thing? It's funny, yeah. <laughs> the, the interesting thing is, they say, well, it's, the, it's the, the likes of Nigel Farage that should complain. They complain. Yeah, the, the white native English. Well, like, actually, it's mostly the, the pr proper um, integrated refugees and migrants who are here, including First Wave. These are the people who are complaining more about the illegal migrants. You just, you just don't hear about it, of course. Uh, they're part of the silent majority. They don't really go on TV. They don't get invited by BBC or Sky to go on TV and talk about how, no. as a, as a no. legal migrant, I'm, I don't like illegal migration. But it's true. Now, interested. You, know, you came and lived in South London, Lewisham. You yep. grew up. Mm. And I'm interested in your political 
epiphany. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously being directed towards mm. the Labour Party, because yep. kind of Lewisham's course, yeah. Labour area, and, and, <laughs> and I've no doubt at school, etc., there were influences mm. perhaps sending you in that direction. So tell me what happened with, with your engagement with the Labour Party. Do, I, do, I do believe that growing up in Lewisham, that made me not be Labour, because, okay. because the pressure, the, the mob rule mentality, the peer pressure that they said... Well, this is the Labour heartland, and obviously I, I came from an ordinary middle-class family in Iran. Yeah. So that meant good education, uh, but that also meant when we came here, um, ended up in a council state, which was a bit of a culture shock, uh, but kind of more regressive. So I was like, oh, this is interesting, so I'm going to get used to a new um, environment. But everything I saw, for me and my family, we were just happy that we were embracing this new culture because they gave us a fresh, fresh chance, a fresh start. Everybody in the neighbourhood, well, as a whole, we're complaining, saying this is the worst country in the world. We're all dying. Like, this is the end of the world as we know it. And everyone is just complaining and complaining and complaining. And people like my family, this type of, um, well, if you want to call them you know, migrants or refugees or just, just humans, we, we don't see ourselves as victims. You know, everything is an opportunity. You know, even if you're at the bottom and they're coming here, starting you know, fresh on a council state, mm. I had to do everything from scratch. But I didn't complain. I didn't believe that, well, the bankers are rich, so I'm not going to get rich. But, I, you know, I, I got out of it. Um, but that made me realize that it was always inside of me, the, the kind of the free market capitalist side of me, the kind of belief in, but also in terms of embracing the British culture and being proud of being British. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, actually, to be fair to the Labour Party, uh, for much of its history, it mm. was a very patriotic political party. <laughs> and one of the reasons it's gone wrong and lost that northern wall is it lost that connection. It kind of lost its way with patriotism, with border controls, with yep. things like that. So as a free market conservative, mm -hmm. and now somebody who is a political creator. YouTuber. <laughs> you're a YouTuber. You are a YouTuber. Yeah. So come on, explain to an audience who may not understand this, yep. what do you do for a living, Martuzzi? Apparently it's a job. A lot of people in my family still don't believe it. Like, that. <laughs> you can't make money, right? So come on, what do you do? Essentially... Um, it is, uh, it, it's, a, it's an online And why do you channel. do it? And why do you do it? But that's the thing. Um, like yourself and people like yourself that you kind of focused on the, the political left behind. Mm. I discovered the last couple of years ago, well, a couple of years ago, that there is also such thing as media left behind in terms of the left behind who are also being let down by the mainstream media, the old kind of legacy uh, types of channels. And um, it was the height of Brexit negotiation. It was Theresa May. And I just randomly started, I was getting frustrated with everything that we were getting from the news. So I just decided to like make videos to kind of simplify things and kind of make things more easier to kind of just relate to and uh, give the facts, but be open to people about my own biases and say, so these are the facts, this is my opinion, now form your own view. Um, and it took off and people actually then stopped watching your legacy channels and, and there, there was a gap in the market. Uh, and this is obviously before GB News, obviously, that broke yeah. through and, you know, there's a revolution now. But that, well, that became the go-to source for a lot of people around the country. That they, I got more views than certain other channels, the legacy channels. You've got, you got about a quarter of a million people that, that, that follow you mm -hmm. on YouTube and you've had over 100 million video views, which is a big number. Mm. So can a person like you earn a good living doing that? <laughs> yeah, um, yes, it's possible. It's... Uh, <laughs> It feels like we're going to have to, like, release my tax <laughs> No, is there... No, I, I, I mean, because, I mean, you know, there are a lot of people out there now, not yeah. necessarily in politics, but in fashion, in art, in all of these things, there are a lot of people out there who yeah. are, it seems, <clears throat> earning their living. You get by, you do OK doing this. 
Yes, but I have had my issues with YouTube as well, um, quite recently, um, because whilst we complain, people like me, the alternative media guys, that they're all off-gam and all the kind of there are a lot of restrictions with kind of the, the real world. Yeah. YouTube, they have massive restrictions. Uh, so if you say the wrong thing accidentally, or it came comes out the wrong way, uh, the system, the, the kind of the AI that they have, and also the people who actually monitor it. They could bring you down any moment. The channel could go, and there was a period quite recently where it, my channel got hit. And so, yeah, while it could be good, the good days where I could make a lot of money and I could actually influence people, actually give yeah. them what they want to hear,、uh, but it could go away any moment. It could get cancelled. This is a scary thing, isn't it? Because,、uh, and I was talking about this with our with our guest from Hong Kong watch earlier. When social media first arrived, it was liberating、mm. because it was a way of getting round the back. Of what the mainstream wanted to present, going directly to people, and I don't think the, the political revolution of 2016 could have happened without social media.、Yep. In my case, it was YouTube. Yes, it was my speeches in the European Parliament, reaching a, a big audience in Britain. Suddenly, people knew walking down the street who I was. That's what did it for me. For Trump, it was Twitter. Yeah, direct communication、yep. out to 50, 60, 70 million、yep. Americans. Yeah, it didn't matter what CNN said. He was having that direct conversation. And it almost seems to me that the people that created this stuff on the west coast of America suddenly became horrified、mm. about what the impact of it、mm. had been. And we now see Trump himself, of course, is banned. You're kind of saying that, in a sense, you have to be careful、yeah. about individual words、yeah. because they're the triggers.、Uh, I mean, where are we going with this? It is tricky. You mentioned 2016、uh, and you know, yourself in terms of the, the platform you got、mm. um, and Trump with Twitter. There was also another one, Arab Spring. The Egyptian、um, protest and revolution actually happened on Facebook.、Yeah. It was because of Facebook organizing the groups and events and things like that. So it, it, it's, it's been happening for a few years. Where we go now? And you're absolutely right that, for example, the, the big tech kind of liberal left establishment, they realize, oh, I mean, we created a good thing, but we're actually also giving a kind of chance to our opponents, people we don't like. To be empowered, and now they're freaking out. It's sort of like what the CCP would do in China, but like the Chinese Communist Party would want to control things. But that makes more sense. They're communist and authoritarian. Why are the kind of so-called liberal, big tech, open and kind of、uh, tolerant society that we have? They want to shut down someone like for, like me or yourself or Trump on Twitter. You mentioned words. You can't say COVID. When COVID started, the first lockdown, I couldn't use the word COVID. I had to say the health crisis or the lockdown situation. Really, you can't say、uh, certain words. You just get demonetized. You can't say war, even if you say I hate war. It's,、mm. The context doesn't matter. So you have to use. There was a, a video I did, and、uh, it was about obviously the context about Germany, Second World War. So I had to say what happened in Germany back in the 1940s, and when they got rid of their tyrant. I couldn't say certain、right. words. I couldn't even say Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's that's where we are. Are there going to be other companies that come along and start to provide alternatives? I mean, there are one or two that are trying, aren't there? Yeah, and I think I mean, there, there are like alternatives to、uh, Twitter. There's a, like a new app called、uh, Getter that Getter, Parler, yeah, Rumble. There, there、yeah. are attempts being made. The problem is,、um, that, so some of them have already failed, and some of them actually still going really well. I think the way you kind of counter it, and、uh, for example, the new apps like Getter are getting it right, is the you can't sell yourself as. The, the right wing version of Twitter or right wing version、no. of YouTube, and、um, because accidentally you will create an echo chamber. It has to be sold as 
we are basically going to be the alternative mainstream. A bit platform. like the Brexit vote. Basically. We, well, yeah, but it brought in millions of Labour voters yeah, exactly. that most people in London didn't really understand. <laughs> you are a member of the Conservative Party. Not anymore. You believe in free markets. Yep. You believe in aspiration. <laughs> you believe in low tax. You sound like, he sounds like Boris's nightmare, doesn't he, really? <laughs> so when did you, when did you leave? Um, so, I haven't, yeah, I, I used to be an active member for about 10 years ago I joined. And, and you stood uh, as a candidate. Yeah, kind of classic student activists, you know, yeah. local members, council candidates. And, you know, as a young kind of political and Tory, you think, well, the only route is I should become an MP. Then I worked in Parliament for a bit, and Westminster, and I realised, yeah, that's not a good idea. Uh, when you see what happened, what happened in the bubble, firstly, there's no money. There's, there's no actual influence un unless you become really prime minister. Uh, and because you could have influence depending on what you are and what you're about. You know, for example, Steve Baker, Mark Harper, these guys like backbenchers, they have influence for yeah. certain areas as yeah. campaigns. But I got out because um, I realised I'm just getting too old for that. I I'm not going to just keep waiting and waiting for something that... Because I kept seeing a lot of my friends who thought that the only way you could actually influence in terms of the world and politics and everything yeah. else well, is no, part no, of no, You don't a, have to. No, no, there are lots and lots of ways. Yeah, media is... So how do you feel about the party now, the direction it's taking? Problem I have with the party is not necessarily just the fault is like Boris Johnson's leadership is like not going well or their, their policies. That's a clearly a problem now. But there's a deeper problem with the whole system that the, from Tory HQ to the culture of Toryism. Uh, and uh, the one thing they credit to the Tories, they, they, the whole party is based on just survival and winning and kind of uh, maintaining power. And, and adapting. Yeah, exactly. I get, <laughs> and, but sometimes they have to then do the right things to win. For example, they eventually had to get Brexit done. Yeah, they had to. I mean, thanks, they, yeah. they, they were very reluctant. But that was thanks to a different political party well, that was created to well, push for that. <laughs> if, if they hadn't done that, the Brexit party could yeah. have won the next election yeah. and, they, and they weren't going to allow that. Maya, finally, yeah. a message, please, to youngsters watching this who fancy their chances as being YouTubers, creators. How do they start? Don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't aim for it. It's just one of those things where uh, you, you can't really planet. Mine was very accidental. But uh, they should definitely, well, I would encourage uh, attempts to get your voices heard. Because obviously my platform is to give some sort of voice to people who are not yeah. being heard. But I, I, I would encourage other people to tweet more, write more blogs. And you know, even if some, you know, only a few people read it or watch YouTube videos, still do it. Because we need the silent majority to actually stop being silent, basically. On that note, and one that I absolutely concur with, because when the silent majority spoke in 2016, yep. look what the result was. <laughs> that was Maya Tuzi on Talking Pints. And thank you for coming in. We've come to the end of the show, but I've saved a few minutes because, of course, it is Barrage the Farage. And I've kept Maya here as backup, just in case I get some real rotters that are difficult to answer. Number one, Cynthia asks me, what is your New Year's resolution? Well, I, I used to joke about this, Cynthia. I used to say every year that I was having a debate what was to go, drinking or driving and driving lost. Um, but that's an old one. My New Year's resolution is to do dry January. OK, so you'll see me here um, from the third, I guess, uh, with, I don't know what it's going to be yet. Ginger beer, I suppose, something like that. I don't know. Adrian asks, surely all terrorists 
should be locked up forever. Well, I guess that depends uh, what they're actually convicted of. Did you see that story, Maya, that 92 people are coming up for parole? Yep. Have we gone soft in the head? Not as soft, completely insane. Thank you. Thank you. There we are. You see, you see how moderate I am on this program. Trevor asks, ah, out of the US and China, which, in your opinion, is the strongest country right now? <sighs> well, with Biden's leadership uh, and with Biden's catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan and the way that China has responded to that with its bellicose noises over Taiwan, with the games that Putin is playing, uh, and I believe they are games, actually, on the Ukrainian border, whilst at the same time we become ever more reliant on him for gas. Uh, it's still just about America, because technologically and militarily, they are still massively stronger than China. But economically, China is going to overtake them within the course of the next few years. And that is a real concern that I have. Anthony asks, when will people start pointing out the hypocrisy of football players going to the Qatar World Cup? I mean, they take the knee, they virtue signal, and they're off to a regime that is brutal, isn't it, to homosexuals, to all sorts of people. Maya, what do you make of it? OK, it's going to sound controversial, but genuinely, because I've come from that culture. Yeah, yeah. For the lefties, the Middle East, Qatar, for example, yeah. they can't really criticise them. They can't attack them for being, oh, you're a homophobe because they're also brown, like me. So they're like, oh, well, no, there we are. attack a brown person. That's, the way, that's <laughs> their way out. Right, I tell you what, folks, we're pretty much there. Why have you not made a New Year's Honours list, I'm asked? I never will be. They owe me far too much ever to admit it. Right, I'm done for the rest of the year. Happy New Year to all of you. 